0: Welcome to Exaltation. This is Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true. Our scripture today is 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is under you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. to understand the wonderful epistle of 1 Peter. We need to remember that Peter was writing to Christians scattered throughout the Roman Empire who were facing persecution. The cruel and merciless Emperor Nero had scapegoated the Christians, and now they were a target for persecution and martyrdom. Christians were thrown to the lions. They were sawn in two, roasted to death in fires and crucified. It was a very difficult time in the history of the Christian faith. That was 20 centuries ago. What about today? What we need to be aware of is that persecution and martyrdom have increased around the world in the 21st century. The truth is that Christians are suffering persecution and martyrdom at a rate and intensity that recalls the worst periods of the ancient Roman Empire. Although the biased secular media will not report it, the International Society for Human Rights says that Christians are the targets of 80% of all acts of religious discrimination in the world today, making Christians by far the most persecuted of all religions. An average of 100,000 Christians have been killed every year over the past decade, working out to 11 Christians killed somewhere in the world every hour, seven days a week, 365 days a year, only because they profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Persecution and genocide of Christians across the world is worse today than at any time in history. What about North America? The sobering truth is that persecution is beginning here in the United States against believers as well. Not long ago, two U.S. senators posed snaring and belittling questions to a lawyer nominated by the president for a United States district court appointment. He was subjected to scrutiny and specifically targeted for his faith in order to cast doubt on his ability to serve in public office. Christians have lost their jobs, had their businesses shut down, and been ostracized in their communities simply because they profess to love and follow Jesus Christ. In times like these, how are Christians to live? The book of 1 Peter gives us the answer. Peter provides four practical imperatives. The first is that elders must shepherd the flock of God. Verses 1 to 4 of our passage, Therefore I exhort the elders among you, Shepherd the flock of God. Spiritual leaders must protect and take care of the flock of God. Protection, nourishment, and healing are the responsibility of a faithful elder. The word Peter uses is presbyteros, which is variously translated bishop, pastor, elder, or priest. The underlying meaning is a man who is called by God to lead the church as an under-shepherd. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. Those who are called by him to lead the church are under-shepherds. And what is the under-shepherd to do? Verse 2 tells us that he is to tend and exercise oversight. To tend means to nourish with a proper diet of preaching, to protect the saints from error through prayer, and to heal from hurts. In times of trouble and hostility and persecution, there is a tremendous need for pastoral care. Pastoral work must be done from a sense of calling from the Lord and not for filthy lucre, as the King James Version colorfully states. Not for financial gain, not for personal gain, not for what you get out of the work, but for the privilege of giving to the work. This idea of not for sordid gain is a major concern to modern Christianity. Pastor and teacher John Piper a pastor in Minneapolis, is one who has made a lot of money on his books. But he is one of the very few Christian pastors who is committed to never use any of his royalty money, but to give it all to works of charity. He says, I never felt that I was the church's privilege, but that she was my privilege. To be a pastor and shepherd was gift all gift. The mindset that I am so valuable that I deserve any benefits that come from my ministry is utterly alien to the Spirit of Christ. He came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. His whole orientation was give, 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 not get, get, get. It has become clear that many modern pastors have the ambition to get rich. But 1 Timothy 6 warns us, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Verse 3 of our passage says that leaders are not to lord over those given to their charge. Fallen human nature is such that for many in the shepherding position, power and prestige are more attractive than money. Too many church leaders have a desire for preeminence. I have watched pastors over the years who have clutched to themselves titles, privileges, recognition, and power over others. All of this is a great sin against God himself who gives men the privilege of leadership, against the flock of God that needs loving shepherding care, and against the sacred office of the pastor and priest, for unworthy motives disgrace the office. The second imperative to practice during difficult times is that believers are to wear the garment of humility. Verse 5 and 6, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. Webster defines humility as a deep sense of unworthiness in the sight of God, Deep abasement, penitence for sin. Saint Bernard of Clairvaux lived 1090 to 1153 and was a deeply humble and spiritual saint. He said that truth is withheld from the proud and is disclosed to the humble. The definition of humility is that it is the virtue which enables a man to see himself in his true colors and thereby to discover his worthlessness. When St. Bernard was asked by his followers to state the three greatest virtues of all, he simply replied, Humility, humility, humility. Why is humility important? The phrase is very instructive. The revised version says, gird yourselves with, and suggests both the garment and the action of putting it on. It was part of a slave's uniform. Some scholars think it was a kind of white apron. Others think it may have been a girdle of some sort. Whatever the actual garment was, it was the distinguishing mark of a slave. And Peter says, strap around yourself the slave's apron." and do it in order to serve others. Now, humility does not mean pretending not to be the person God created you to be. Babe Ruth was the greatest all-around baseball player ever. He would not have been practicing humility to say, Oh, I can't hit the ball. I'm really no good at baseball at all. That would be false self-deprecation. C.S. Lewis said, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. True humility means knowing where all my strength and ability comes from, the Lord God Himself. Not esteeming myself highly, but realizing that I am an unworthy and unprofitable servant, and not insisting that other people give me recognition, attention, and applause. Actually, self-deprecation can be evidence of pride. The Christian who constantly complains, I'm just a poor, weak, sinful Christian, hasn't recognized the virtue of humility. True humility would say, I struggle with passions which need to be defeated. I need to work on controlling my quick temper. I am constantly occupied and distracted with gaining worldly advantage in my business dealings. I need to work on subduing that tendency and focus my time and money on the gospel and kingdom concerns. Let's continue our lesson. How do we develop humility? First, to cure a high estimate of the self, simply look more deeply into your own heart. If we take the light of God's Word and shine it brightly into our hearts, We will quickly see many wicked and evil things lurking there. That's why the righteous publican in Luke chapter 18 said, O God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He realized his worthlessness and wretchedness before God. Second, we must live with men and women of the past who are much bigger than ourselves. We must sit down and read the lives of the saints of old, and we will quickly see what small, unworthy servants we are in comparison to the heroes of the faith who went before us. St. Peter, St. Paul, the early church fathers, St. Irenaeus, St. Chrysostom, St. Maximus the Confessor, all these men were giants in the faith holy men deserving of our respect and emulation, and all of them suffered deeply because of their faith in Christ. Third, for what are we to wear the slave's uniform? Service. Christian humility is for the purpose of serving others. Excuses not to serve are often evidence of our pride. One commentator says the only condition for receiving God's grace is a lowly sense of my own character and nature which is conscious of sin and weakness and waits upon him. The only condition for not receiving God's grace is to keep a stiff upper lip and hold your head high. If a man walks with his head held very high in this low-roofed world, he is pretty sure to get it knocked against the rafters. The third imperative to practice during times of conflict, persecution, and trial is that believers must roll their anxieties onto the Lord in prayer. Verse 7 says, Cast all your anxiety upon Him, for He cares for you. How do we cast our anxieties upon the Lord? Through unceasing prayer. Anxiety or worry is a sign of pride. It means that I have decided that God's grace and provision are insufficient for my needs. This happens to us all the time, doesn't it? How do we cast aside cares and anxieties and worries and rest in God's love and promises? Through the regular practice of prayer. One godly man says, If we wish to pray, then let us begin by combating anger, defeating lust, and destroying pride. It does no good to say, Now I am going to pray, if we continue to give the passions free reign over our hearts and minds. True prayer is the heart's rest in God while the passions are the heart's captivity to its impulses and fallen desires. As long as the attractions and compulsions of worldly cares continue to bind the heart to the fruit of sin, the heart cannot find the rest in prayer in which its genuine longing is fulfilled. We have many wonderful examples of believers rolling their anxieties upon the Lord in the scriptures, don't we? In Numbers chapter 16 is the story of the rebellion of Korah against Moses. The text reads, Now Korah rose up against Moses together with some of the sons of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, chosen in the assembly men of renown. And they assembled together against Moses and Aaron and said, You have gone far enough for all the congregation are holy, every one of them and the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? When Moses heard this, he fell on his face. God had appointed Moses as the spiritual leader of the people. Korah and his followers rebelled against Moses, and in doing so were rebelling against God himself. Rather than retaliate, what was Moses' response? he immediately fell on his face in prayer and rolled his anxiety upon the Lord. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, David and his fighting men were out defeating the Amalekites. When they returned to their city of Ziklag, they discovered it was overthrown and burned with fire. All was destroyed. This was a great tragedy. The text in 1 Samuel 30 reads, And when David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him, for all the people were embittered each one because of his sons and daughters. David and his fighting men knew who the Amalekites were. They were a cruel and rapacious people, known for their brutality and merciless torture of captives, including women and children. This was a heartbreaking moment for David and his men. But what does the scripture say in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6? But... David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David threw himself upon the strength and comfort of the Lord. He cried out to him and rolled his great burden and anxiety upon him. The fourth imperative to practice during a time of difficulty and persecution is in verse 8 and 9. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him and stand firm in your faith. Believers must practice constant spiritual warfare. Peter tells us to be watchful and sober, to keep up a constant vigilance. There is a restless, prowling, sinister power that seeks to devour followers of Jesus Christ. Satan was decisively defeated at the cross, but he still wants to take down as many people to hell with him as possible. He is a deceiver and a liar. He creates panic in the hearts of believers, whispers lies into their ears, and devises custom-made temptations aimed at just the particular weakness of each individual Christian. We must stand firm against him. Sometimes the devil roars like a lion. Sometimes he is stealthy and sneaky as a serpent. At other times the devil appears as an angel in white shiny garments, posing as something very good. Satan is constantly watching for the weak moment, for the unguarded entrance, for the unprepared occasion. Then he pounces and drags the Christian down to ruin. Our attitude must be sober-mindedness, watchfulness, and active resistance against him. This is the law of constant spiritual vigilance. Oliver Cromwell, the renowned English leader at the Battle of Edge Hill in 1642, told his troops in that opening fight of the English Civil War, Put your trust in God, my boys, but mind to keep your powder dry. In other words, stay on the alert. Be ready to fight at any time. As believers, we realize that we desperately need God's strength in our fight against Satan yet we must courageously do our part by erecting a solid wall of indomitable faith against our spiritual enemy. Finally, there is the wonderful encouragement of verse 10 of our passage in First Peter 5. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Each of these four words, dear friends, has a powerful message behind it. God says that if we endure the life of conflict and persecution and overcome by God's help, he will perfect us. This very instructive word means to set a broken fracture or to mend a torn fishing net. Suffering and hardship, borne patiently, can repair the weaknesses of a man's character. The word establish means to make as solid as granite. Granite is one of the hardest rocks in all the world. The only rock harder is a diamond. Suffering and enduring hardship will result in a solidity, a firmness of character that cannot be gained through any other process. The word strengthen means literally to fill one with strength. When faith is tried in hardship and adversity and persecution, it is purified and made strong. The Lord fills the one persecuted with His strength and power. The word establish means to settle or lay a foundation. In times of hardship and persecution, God will place us firmly upon the bedrock foundation of His mercy and love that cannot be moved. The hymn writer reminds us, When I fear my faith will fail, He will hold me fast. This is the truth that we need to hear in times of hardship and persecution. God has me. God holds me. He sets my feet upon the solid bedrock of His mercy and love. He will keep me safe unto eternal glory. Beloved ones, we are living in a time of increasing conflict and persecution and trial. The years ahead will be difficult and demanding. We may face suffering. We may face martyrdom. We must be on our guard, and we must remember the five imperatives that Peter is trying to tell us. Shepherds must lovingly lead the flock of God and protect God's people in times of persecution. We must put on humility Clothing ourselves in the garment of a servant. We must roll our anxieties and worries onto the Lord, not being bound up in fear or dread, but turning all over to Him through ceaseless prayer. We must engage in active spiritual warfare, being constantly on our guard, watching, waiting, praying against the enemy. Finally, we must remember that God's strength will bring us to final victory. Never forget that God himself will perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Amen. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory both now and forevermore. Amen. You've been listening to Exaltation on the Voice of Hope radio broadcast. I'm Father David Masterson with Godet Ministries. You may reach us on the web at at godetministries.org. That's G A U D E T E ministries.org. This program of music and teaching, Exaltation, is designed to encourage you please get in touch with us by going to our website and clicking on the contact link, contact at at godatministries.org. We want to pray for you. Until next time, may God richly bless you with this word of encouragement from the prophet Isaiah. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth.